Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. Sam Subi alongside me is Taylor Dammel and the Shark. We're brought to you by Dash Radio and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. I actually heard Hollis Price, former point guard, University of Oklahoma. Prior to the Buddy Heald years, I believe that was the previous team, previous Sooner team that made the Final Four. But Hollis Price, he subscribed, so you should as well. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBV Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. We are now here for our second episode of the off season prior to the season abruptly ending. We did tease a little bit, letting you know that we're going to be counting down our top 50 college basketball programs ever a manifesto, if you will. And while I understand that that can be a bit of a loaded word, this is a harmless top 50 college basketball countdown that the shark Taylor and myself have put together based on a lot of rankings, uh, some formulas. We actually tried doing a little soup palm, Taylor palm, shark palm, whatever you want to call it. But I'm going to kick it to the shark real quick to give you a bit more context and a little bit of a refresher before we actually dive in and start talking 50 through 46. 
harmless top 50. Your beard is harmless. Your pipe is harmless. Your yellow teeth is harmless. This this list is not harmless, all right? That's an, that's an ode to Mr. Deeds right there, a classic film. Hang on um, real quick. I have, I have fantastic teeth. I have no issue coming with coming at me. I'm, with quote, I'm quoting the movie. I'm quoting the movie. Yeah, okay. Beard is fine. Teeth, though. Hair. Those are my two biggest redeeming qualities. So I do want to check you there a little bit. No, just go watch the film. Anyways. The manifesto is not harmless. All right, this manifesto—it's been—it's been in the in uh, in in the log, dating back to February of fourteen. This uh, idea and the the point of it was spawned then in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, myself, the chief, a couple other guys—we were building, having an argument over a couple cocktails, and we basically wanted to lift out who's the best college program. Logue, he's been on this episode before. He taught, he's a big IU guy. He wanted to essentially allege they, they were much higher than they really were. And it got us to breaking down, okay, how do we actually quantitatively and qualitatively evaluate who the best program is? It turned into a terrible word doc that we put together. And just to give tell you how terrible this is, we wrote a little intro page on the front of it. And it said, our goal is to create a visual, constantly updating results-based resource that allows college basketball fans to see how individual programs stack up, stack up against one another. Okay, guy. And that guy probably being me who wrote that way a long time ago. But still, like, what am I selling software over here? I mean, this is the ridiculous introduction for this. This That's- is a much better way to do it, the podcast forum, where we can get in here and hash it out as to who is the best college basketball program. That's a great cover page though for like your senior year English teacher. Great oh, cover yeah. page. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good sentence, no doubt about it. Like if I'm submitting that to a teacher, that's a good sentence to have there. But in terms of, all right, dude, who, who, what am I handing this out at the bar? Is someone to read my, my visual constantly updating results-based resource? Like get out of here. Um, I also put an asterisk uh, next to the date. And I said, it's always updating. All right. No, no shit. <laughs> no shit. This, the list is always going to update. We're not going to, we're not going to, you know, factor in if someone won a national championship. But anyways, the point of this list was to sit down, break down and determine much like you do with the top 25, who deserves to be in the top 50. We wanted to look at uh, a lot more data teams, teams that were relevant a long time ago. And you're going to see a lot of the analysis and the debates that we had as we sat down to actually make this list. There's guys like Taylor that are going to value these intangible aspects of the game, the aura and the mystique of arenas or the names of offenses. Somehow that should get filtered into how we should rank the top 50 list. Whereas you're going to have guys like me that are focused just on the numbers. Uh, I value teams that were relevant and good after 1970, uh, probably I'll give it 1980, just because the competition is more increased. And then you're going to have guys like Subi and Taylor that think Colorado is a hell of a program because they made a bunch of sweet 16s when there's 40 teams in the tournament. So you're going to see a lot of this. We're not, you're not going to see Colorado. There's a spoiler for you right now. They didn't make the top 50, but that was a debate that came out throughout this thing. The way we actually settled how we were going to do this, we sat down, we each took a conference. We went through the conference, each team in that conference, we listed out how many Final Fours those teams have made, how many championships they've won, how many Elite Eights they've gone to, how many Sweet Sixteens, how many NCAA tournament appearances, how many conference regular season championships. We don't value the conference tournament, all right, because you know you can get at me if you want to do that, but we did regular season championships because we consider that to be the best metric of a season at large. More games factored, in, factored into it. You're going head-to-head against the other people in your conference. And then we put together a list of the most talented player out of that program, a list of some intangible things such as arena, 
things like that, things that Taylor likes. Subi, big Excel spreadsheet guy. This was the probably the most shocking thing out of this development right here outside of, um, you know, let me call Cincinnati being a top 15 program. The most shocking thing was how, how good. You want to give, dude. I'm just dropping little Easter eggs in there. So they keep coming back. All right. All right. It's, it's, an old, it's an old trick. All right. I'm, I'm dropping them there. At least they like top 25, top 30. All right. I'm done right now. Okay. I won't give any more. Okay. I won't give any more. Won't tell you that Providence didn't make the top 50. But anyway, so, <laughs> Subi, Subi out here is a wizard with Excel. He's got these things. He's got weighted preferences. He put them in there. So out churned. Um, you know, we did every single division one team out of a power five conference out churned a top, whatever it was, a hundred list team. We didn't bother with the mid-major conferences, only the good ones. So we plucked the Gonzaga's, the Western Kentucky's, we did all those and we evaluated them from there. We then sent it out to our own little distributor. So you'd sent it to me, you sent it to Subi, you sent it to Taylor. And then we owned, we each did our top 50 list. And then once we did our top 50 list, we logged onto a chat much like everyone's been doing in Zoom chats and all that. Uh, we logged into that and we spent hours breaking down this list. And what resulted was a consensus top 50 list, which today we're going to reveal 50 through 46 of the top 50 college basketball programs in our manifesto. Yeah, I like the way that you described that there. I kind of felt like Gus Fring putting together something and then sending out to all my distributors to then do with it what they will, which is, of course, uh, different from selling meth. But uh, a little Breaking Bad referee for you as well. And it's interesting you brought up all of our preferences because during the year, Taylor's the big numbers guy. Isn't that right, Taylor? And it's not like you completely avoided the, the numbers aspect in how you ranked your top 50, but there was a, a you did lean a little bit more qualitatively than you have been used to in the past, I would say. Sure. I think that, um, you know, throughout the year, I love the things like Ken Palm and, and things of that nature. Uh, but Ken Palm is uh, a year by year metric. Whereas, uh, you know, you can't necessarily measure things like uh, home court advantage over the course of time. Uh, or as uh, shark referenced, uh, you know, different offensive styles, how that maybe factored into the game becoming what it is now. Can't really put a number on that. And that's kind of what the point of this whole debate is though, is that, that, that is how, Things are debated in, in every sport. Oh, well, we have this many championships. Oh, well, was it this many Super Bowls or is it this many world championships or how many, you know, championships do you have when the tournament became a 64-team tournament or a 40 or 32? You know, there's a number of teams actually that have um, more Elite Eights than they have Sweet 16s simply because they made the tournament more times when the tournament was that small than they have you know, sense. So uh, I think that the numbers are the most important part. And I think that's why for the majority of our lists, we were pretty, we were pretty even for the most part, a couple outliers here and there, but I think uh, kind of those intangibles or outside factors is kind of how, you know, we decided why one was going over the other. And like shark said, yeah, I probably took more of those into uh, factor than maybe you guys did. Yeah. So, for added context, I would say the top 15 was super easy amongst all three of us. I think we all agreed that these are the top 15 programs in these order or in this order, excuse me. The real deliberation came with like 20 through 35. And then I think 36 through 45 was pretty much agreed upon. And then the stragglers, 
the ones at the end. So it was really the the middle guys and then the ones that were saying, are they a top 50 program or are they just barely missing the cut? And before we dive into the top 50, we're going to discuss, uh, we'll, we'll touch upon real quick, the ones that just missed our top 50 cuts. So these are the ones outside looking in. From the Pac-12, we have Washington and Oregon. We also have Missouri, Texas Tech just missing the cut. And this is sure to be a popular one with Bluff City Friar and the rest of the Maniacs, Providence, just missed the top 50 cut. They just missed it in Shark's eyes. In Taylor and mine's eyes, I didn't necessarily think that Providence was very much uh, even on the on the, on the the cusp of it. But those five teams, Washington, Mizzou, Oregon, Texas Tech, and Providence, all just barely missed out. Uh, and just for to, to tell you where some, some of our guys lied, Shark was staunch about Texas Tech. Uh, Taylor and I, we, we discussed a little bit about Washington, but – we did all end up coming to a conclusion that these five outside looking in. Well, and I think, uh, you know, Providence, for example, we decided to leave them off our list because they've never won a conference championship, which seems to be kind of fairly important as you're considered, um, you know, amongst your peers. Um, Washington is a school that hasn't been to an elite eight since the fifties or sixties, despite the fact that they have a lot of NBA talent. Um, and then I was a guy who actually maybe had suggested Oregon, not necessarily due to their basketball prowess, but their affiliation with Nike and how, what Nike means to basketball as a whole. But um, that was something that was shot down and probably rightfully so by by the other two involved here. But just as an example of some of the intangibles, that's some of the stuff that we talked about. You know, does your affiliation with Nike being the founding school does it play into their importance? In this case, not as much as like, yeah, actual tournament play. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to make sure loud and clear, if we could all just remember that Providence has never won a conference championship in case anyone on Providence would like to come, uh, tweet at us about this zero conference championships. Yeah. And honestly, Providence, I, I was kind of standing on a mountain for you at one point because your resume is pretty good. All right. You got two final fours. You've been to four elite eights. You got five sweet 16s and you've been to the tournament 20 times. You should be in, but without one regular season conference championship, not one. I mean, I, I I can't, I just can't do business with you right there. I was trying, and frankly, my other one, Texas Tech, that was referenced. I love Texas Tech, and they're going to be the next guy in at this point with the way Chris Beard, Chris Beard's got that program because he's got them to a championship game in this era as well. And they, I mean, that's their only Final Four run, but he's got a good enough red. They, that program's got a good enough resume in terms of appearances. And the only other one that was left out, the, the most tournament appearances without being in the top 50 is Mizzou. Missouri, um, they've made the tournament 27 times. They've never been to a Final Four, and they've been to a handful of Elite Eights and Sweet 16s with you know one of those being vacated way back when. And they're pretty good in the uh, mid to late. Uh, let's call it, what do you call the late two, 2008 to nine? Do you call that? What do you call it? Late two thousand, but not year. really. I, yeah. I'm just going to say it for us, our our senior year. Sure. All right. Yeah. They, <laughs> I mean, they were good when that was going on, but yeah, Providence, man. You give me, you give me one conference tournament. I think we might have had you in, but you, you can't. You, you're not going to pass over the other programs, and you're actually going to love who number fifty is once we start revealing it because it's a team that you're going to be running into quite a, quite a few times over the years here. So one more thing to point out too, because you brought it up, Nap, uh, before we dive in here is. Uh, we talk, we'll talk about vacated wins and vacated tournament appearances and stuff like that pretty often throughout this list. 
there's almost no school of the hundred and I, I think we considered 112 total schools for our top 50 list. And I, I, there's got to be only a handful that don't have something vacated at some point. So uh, that's an important thing to consider with anybody's listening to this and saying, oh, well, they had, you know, you know, Syracuse, for example, had 100 wins vacated a couple of years ago. That's just because we remember it. At some point, almost every one of these schools has had something, whether large or small, vacated. I'd also like to make a quick point that the dead last uh, like quadrant of these teams of the 112, whatever you said, like four of them came from the AAC. That conference is awful with the exception of, of course, like teams like Memphis, Cincy, even Temple, UConn, duh. But then you also have teams like Tulane. And uh, there's, there's another one that I'm, I'm blanking on right now, uh, but they, they've finished like 110 and 112 respectively east east carolina east carolina east carolina i think was the dead last team in uh in the teams that mattered of the powers and also the good mid-majors so i was surprised that um you know the big 10 is generally considered one of the two or three best conferences each and every year uh they actually had was it four of the bottom 15 as well with northwestern uh and penn state teams that really and poor Penn state. Cause this could have been really a year that they made a, a, a dent uh, in, in their ranking. But I was surprised that generally at uh, one of the best power conferences also had some of the very worst teams. Um, you know, the PAC 12 kind of stuck in the middle, which is so PAC 12 to not have like, they have like a great team. And then a, I think they have six or seven teams between like 35 and 65 which is pretty much like every year of college basketball, you pretty much, the Pac-12 has like four bubble teams. And that's essentially what we had here. Pac-12 literally had four bubble teams on this list. Yeah. All right. So let's dive in here to the top 50. I'm going to do my best Jim Nance impression when he's announcing the final four teams. Out of the Big East Conference, Butler, Bulldogs at number 50. Here's their resume. Zero national titles, two final fours, 18 conference titles, Two Elite Eights, six Sweet Sixteens, 16 NCAA tournaments. We'll get to there who we decided their best player and fan favorite are, but we'll open the discussion there. Butler coming in at number 50, and they really didn't have much success outside of the past decade, especially those two years, of course, referencing Matt Hayward, uh, excuse me, Matt Howard, Gordon Hayward, the shot against Duke. And I think actually their the love for them kind of went up because they played a, a evil empire like Duke and came so close. Uh, this is another sort of qualitative item that we discussed, but Hinkle Fieldhouse, Taylor, you didn't have much love for it, but I think it's one of the great, greater venues in college basketball. Butler coming in at 50, the final fours, they hold weight. Shark, thoughts on the Butler Bulldogs at 50? Completely, completely recency bias here, but they've done enough to justify them being in the top 50. Uh, when you look at them, you, you, when you look, and Taylor can touch on this, but Hinkle Fieldhouse, you're thinking it's this historic gym that, you know, it's the foundation of Hoosiers. Everybody thinks that, it, you know, basketball was born there. In reality, Butler men's basketball has been fucking terrible since before 2001. They really haven't done anything. I mean, they made the tournament uh, the first time of uh, – 
97, 98, they had one in 62, but they haven't really done anything since the late 90s. Now, the reason that they were able to sneak their way into our top 50 is one, because of their trajectory, and two, because of what they've been able to produce while in the tournament. They have those two finals appearances. Can you think of any other mid-major teams, and they did those as mid-majors, that have made the actual finals of the tournament recently? And they did it twice. So, I mean, you can go back and think, yeah, in a row. Like, who, who else could have done that in the past when you look at it? Gonzaga. Yeah, like they, they're always knocking on the door, knocking on the door, but for almost 25 years, but, and they obviously haven't cracked through, but Butler for them to do it a couple of times, just in a row like that, that is significant enough. And the fact that they're just around and they're always they're they become a household name in college basketball at this point. Well, I also want to real quick talk about their seating in those tournaments. I don't know what they were for sure, but pretty sure one of those against Duke, they were a five seed. It's not like they were a one or a two, like in Zaga always is. These guys have had to go through actual teams in the tournament those two years at least to get to the to, to the finals twice in a row. But Taylor Butler at fifty, I think uh, if I remember correctly, I was pushing for Butler to be left out of the top fifty. Um, you know, I, you guys brought up Hinkle. Hinkle literally had like one important game played at it for a fifty-year stretch, and that's why I think you know there's there is mystique to some arenas and there's fake mystique to other arenas. So we talk about intangibles. Yeah. Hoosiers was shot there. Hoosiers was the most important fucking game there for 50 years, you know? So just because it's old, like old and historic are not the same thing. Okay. Now Hinkle is historic given the, you know, Hoosiers was shot there and, and whatnot, but it's mostly before 1997 was just old because their tournament appearances go 1962, than 1997 so that was my problem with uh putting them any higher than this is um that yeah okay they've had a great 15 years they've had a great 10 years let's call it um and they did enough in those 10 years to to be a a name in college basketball but if you stretch this out extrapolate it over the whole course of time they have a pretty small uh importance in the entire history of college basketball in my opinion Best player, I think we all agreed that it was Gordon Hayward. And for my criteria, I was going strictly college. But Gordon Hayward obviously had a wonderful career at Butler. And you guys had included some of the – for your criteria, how they were doing in the NBA. He's obviously an all-star. Best Butler player ever, really. So Gordon Hayward there. And then fan favorite, uh, Shark, you had mentioned it was Matt Howard. Yeah, I mean, I got to put Matt Howard. He's the, he's the quintessential college basketball big man, you know, slow, somehow finds a way. Kind of just like a shorter, slower, less athletic Luca Garza that could possibly exist in the world. That was Matt Howard before it happened. And he was just such a scrappy player, and he played on the biggest stage. You know, he's playing in finals championships games. So Matt Howard with his T-shirt underneath, that, that was a guy I always remember. Roosevelt Jones, another one. Just a, another chubby Butler guy that just did everything. The Swiss Army knife on that team. You can even keep going back to Shelvin Mack. Like these guys were just defined in the 2000s right here. And it's the fact that they were able to crack through and make a tournament, make the championship twice as a mid major in this era that gets them in the top 50. Because outside of that, their resume sucks. They've only made the tournament 16 times. You know, any other organizations can be better than where they're at right now. Boston College is going to have better numbers than them in all the other categories. But when you can crack through and do this twice in this era, you earn my respect, especially considering the fact that they're not going anywhere. 
Everybody knows Butler's going to be good for a long time going forward. They deserve to be in the top 50. Well, then can't forget Selvin Mack from those teams as well. Uh, going into that 2010 season, uh, 2009-2010 season when they first made the championship game there, I think most people would have argued that uh, Howard was their best player too. So I think there was even that argument available. Uh, Hayward obviously uh, peaked at a higher uh, rate and earlier than how than Howard, but there that argument was certainly there, and and Howard had a couple better tournament games than than, uh, than Gordon did as well. Uh, but outside of yeah, outside of those maybe five or six players, there's not a lot to go off of of whether it was overwhelming college success or and in even less uh, success in the pros. Uh, when I was ranking my favorite players, I didn't really take their success in the pros into account anyway. The only thing that I took into account. As, as it relates to um, the a player's prowess within a program was maybe if they got drafted really high, uh, because that kind of puts your school's name in a little higher of light. Uh, and that is generally based off your collegiate performance. Now I didn't consider that as much with the one and dones, obviously, but, um, but yeah, not, not a lot more uh, depth to Butler outside of really those two championship games. Two more items before we head to 49. If the, if we did a ranking of top 50 programs with players with the baggiest, most old school undershirts, Butler might be top 10 because Matt Howard and Gordon Hayward were swimming. I'm talking doing Michael Phelps type backstrokes in those incredibly oversized undershirts. I don't know how they, that, that's probably, that's probably why Gordon missed that shot. I don't know if he shot it with the undershirt actually, but you know, shocking that they were able to get their arms above their heads to take a shot with the sweat and the just sheer weight of the sleeves. Um, you contrast that. Yeah. Contrast it with the swag. You remember Kellen Dunham, that, that, that sharpshooter that had some swag on the court as well. Contrast that with him who did not have the long sleeve tees. Another great Butler player. How about even Keelan Martin, who's an NBA player now, just came out yep. of Butler. Like he even had a T-shirt on in college. So I think it's like, uh, and that's a new, that's new, new school right there. So maybe that's just the Butler way. And then I'd also like to make a quick nomination, honorable mention for fan favorite, potentially Andrew Smith. Uh, not to take a turn for for the sad part here, but passed away from cancer a few years ago. So I'm sure he is beloved in the Butler community. But the Bulldogs at fifty. Let's get to number 49. Out of the Ivy League, the Princeton Tigers. Zero national titles. One Final Four. 33 conference titles. One Elite Eight. Six Sweet Sixteens. And 25 NCAA tournament berths. Our first Ivy League team here. You think of Princeton. You think of the the, the Princeton offense. You think of Pete Carrill. Uh, you also think about their stunning upset of powerhouse UCLA. Another little nugget about that upset, UCLA was the def- defending national champs. So that's something that a lot of people forget about Princeton. But Princeton coming in at 49, and this was certainly a point of contention between Taylor and the Shark. Uh, I'll give you opening opening thoughts here for this, Taylor. So, so I think that this was probably the biggest – school of contention on our list isn't it yeah i'd say so yeah i'd say and, and i think shark and i were the ones who uh probably got into it the most about this so this is between you this, so this is the the exact example of uh old school impact on the game versus actual numbers as they apply to you, you know however you want to uh however you want to um consider that so the reason i was pretty uh, adamant about having Princeton in the top 50 
was uh, because of Pete Carrill and the Princeton offense, uh, which is the the basis of the Princeton offense is still what's run quite considerably large today across all of basketball. Uh, Pete Carrill was obviously a great coach, was there for about uh, 35-ish years, had massed over five 600 wins while he was there. And then it's really, you can actually apply this same argument to college football as well as it relates to the Ivy League. And that is, do we care about what the Ivy League did for basketball or football in the 20s, 30s, 40s, when they were kind of the first league that was really coming along first, uh, you know, schools that had thousands of people at their game. So for me, I thought that was important. They had enough tournament wins or enough tournament appearances and enough conference championships to go along with that, uh, you know, the mystique or the, the, the foundation of the game type of stuff for me to say, okay, I think that Princeton needs to be in the top 50 simply because of not from a number standpoint, but because of how, what they quote unquote mean to the game. And that's obviously up for debate. I'm sure it's probably a 50 50 between how people think about college basketball. Do you think of it as the old school uh, four year players, you know, that degree, or is it more of the, what have they done in the tournament over the last 30 years? Yeah. So, I mean, what have they done over the last 30 years? Well, I'll answer that for you right now. They haven't done much. <laughs> the last time they made the tournament was 17. It's, it's they, they've made it four times this century. Uh, this is clearly just a, a pick to respect the game, which I understand Taylor's doing that. But at the same time, I vehemently disagreed with. And for all you fans of Mizzou, all you fans of Oregon, all you fans of Providence, all you fans of Seton Hall, all you fans of Tennessee, the reason I acquiesced to putting Princeton here at number 49 was for you guys to have a little carrot to chase after each each year for us to get a little nibble. Who's going to get that spot? Because we know it's not going to be Butler. Butler's going to stay in the top 50. They're trajecting upward. But Princeton, I'm telling you, next time we revisit this manifesto, whether it's next year or in a couple of years, they're going to be out and one of those other teams are going to be in. So I, I agreed to this deal right here out of respect. But at the same time, you know, I, I just can't justify it. You know, it, it, they, they're old. They invented a game, a, a system, but they've been to the Elite Eight once in their life. They've been to the Final Four once in their life. They've never won a title. Um, you know, only 25 NCAA tournament appearances. That's the same amount as Texas Tech. That's the same amount as New Mexico State. That's less than Missouri. So, I, I, I mean, I'm not moved by this. You know, you move me in, in putting – if you're in my top 50, you got to be able to move me, compel me to a different level. The Princeton offense, I mean, I'm pretty sure Georgetown stopped running it because it wasn't working. It wasn't winning anything this century. And look at the numbers. Look at the, how many times they've been in the tournament. They're not winning anymore. It's over. It's time to move on. I'd like to enact the Princeton clause. And that's basically, it basically means respect the game. So if, if anyone does something Bush league on the court, like a Brad Davison punch to the nuts. He is in breach of the Princeton clause, for example. Uh, I, I also, I, I kind of lean with Taylor here on this because I'm, I'm a little bit of a sucker for the foundation of the game. There is nothing better than a good seventh grade basketball backdoor cut, right? Where you start on the block, you flash to the elbow or you flash to the three point line, hard V cut, and then you're backdoor for a baseline layup. That's Princeton offense right there, Father. I mean, that's they are they're ingrained in seventh grade, sixth grade basketball. That's one of the first plays that you memorize when you start cutting trimming the fat of participation kids to like 
actual decent ball players who can, you know, do something off the ball. Yeah, the backdoor cuts. The, the only team that's run that recently was Belmont against Murray State and then OVC championship game this year, and everybody got super excited about that. But what has Belmont done in the tournament this century as well? They've done nothing, all right? It, it, it's a cool it, w- question for you. And then, Taylor, I, I see you itching to say something here. Would you rather be the guy to make the backdoor cut pass or receive the backdoor cut pass? Make it. Make the backdoor cut pass. That's a good answer because if you said the other one, I'd be concerned. So actually kind of along those same lines, is it the best feeling in the world when your team actually like is successful at a backdoor cut and everyone in the crowd goes, ah, fuck, come on. Why do we see that? It's just a simple backdoor cut. Simultaneously, the worst thing in the world if your team gets beat by a backdoor cut because you're like, Jesus Christ, guys, why? It's just a fucking backdoor cut. You've done that since seventh grade. Yeah, right, exactly. So that's maybe part of why I want Princeton in the top. 50 here because that move alone still gets discussion on a like a game by game basis when a backdoor cut happens successfully it's like ah fuck princeton you know shit let me tell you guys why i'm a professional right here this is a seamless plug uh listen to the backdoor cut show here on the barn burner podcast network great grizzlies content let's move to number 48 out of the acc it's the wake forest Demon Deacon, zero national titles. Here's another spoiler alert for you. These next few teams, these teams that we're going to be reviewing, none of them have national titles. That's why they're here towards the bottom of the list. But Wake Forest has zero national titles, one final four, five conference titles, six elite eights, nine sweet 16s, and 23 uh, tournament berths. And actually, before we get to to Wake, sorry, real quick, uh, to the best player and fan favorite for Princeton, we're both good with Bill Bradley, right? He's he's in politics now too, right? Or he was? Yeah. He's like an all-time like American, not just like basketball player. Yeah, he was a senator and he's three-time All-American and played in the NBA. Yeah, he's done everything that like one man can accomplish in a lifetime. Didn't win a championship. Got on this list though. Got on the titch list. Add that to his to his belt. But okay, Wake Forest. Uh, the numbers don't really jump out at you. Like I said, only one Final Four and only five conference titles. I was actually most shocked at that. But when you do take a step back and you realize what conference they play in, especially the teams that they're competing with in Carolina for recruits, I guess it's not that that crazy. But the case can be made that it wasn't necessarily these numbers here strictly for college, but rather the names that put them here on this list. When you think of guys like, Tim Duncan, the greatest power forward of all time. When you think of guys like Chris Paul, one of the greatest point guards of all time, even guys like Farouk, uh, Shark, you had mentioned that these guys, Wake Forest, could arguably put together the best starting five of alums. I, I, I don't know if I disagree with you on that, but that's how I looked at Wake Forest here is not necessarily their numbers that, that stood out, uh, but rather the names. Yeah, I think – in uh- what I was mainly referring to, like there, there was a time in, again, high school years, 2000s, whether it's late twos or early 2010s, whatever you want to call it. There was a time when Wake Forest had the best starting five in the NBA. You had Chris Paul, you had Tim Duncan, you had Jeff Teague, you had uh, Josh Howard. You, you had all these guys and you had Farouk. I mean, put that up against anyone right there. You got two perennial players in Paul and Duncan, but at the time in, the, in, in that era of the 2000s, they had a great starting five. And their resume is pretty good. All right. It's not great. They got the one final four, but they're elite players. They're sweet 16s. They've done it nine times. Elite eight, six, 23 tournament appearances playing in the in the 
bedrock of the, of, I guess, just south of Tobacco Road, but within that, within that community, having to compete with schools like that for recruits, being a small university, they they deserve a little bit more credit. Uh, but it is a little surprising to realize that they didn't really break through when they had the, that elite talent. They didn't. I, the, the one year what was it? Uh, who did VCU beat Chris Paul when they were? Who was it? Yeah, Cleveland State beat uh, the team Farouk. later on. He beat Farouk's team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was VCU. I think Eric Maynard was the one who took down um, Chris Paul. He took down Duke. I remember that. Okay, maybe. Yeah. This was this was definitely. Right. I, don't, I don't. Yeah, know. I don't know. I don't know. We should have looked that up beforehand. My bad, Wake Forest guys. But anyways, I'm put. I think that you're good enough to be in the top fifty at that point. I can't believe we've gotten this far into a Wake discussion with nobody brought up Darius and Gila. Come on. Yeah. Come on. That's an all-time True. name. I think he might be a couple years off on the Eric Maynard over Chris Paul, but just barely. But, uh, again, I might be wrong in the other direction. Um, Mugsy Bogues, you know, too. Yeah. I forgot. There you Mugsy. go. There you go. So, to me, Wake Forest was kind of like Washington with a little more success. They have actually some big-time NBA players, and you look at their tournament success, and you're like, where – there's got to be a typo in here. Like where was none of these teams made a final four. None of these teams made an elite eight. So to me, uh, Washington being off the list is almost the same reason why wake is on the list. It, the NBA players, the teams that are the teams that they've put together, uh, you know, and the alumni that they have and just a little more tournament success than a number of the teams behind them. Um, I don't really have that much more to say about wake other than kind of, yeah, they had just enough talent just enough success to sneak in uh, over a handful of other teams. It's funny. They have 23 NCAA tournament berths, which is pretty darn good. And you look at the state of Wake Forest basketball right now, and it's in complete shambles because they decided to give an extension, I believe, to Danny Manning after he made the play-in game with that John Collins team. Uh, that, uh, so it's they, you, they, them in Princeton. Wake might find themselves being supplanted by these other teams, Shark. Uh, chomping at the bit as well. And real quick, we talk about the players, obviously great. I think the only two players that surpass or eclipse this guy uh, is Tim Duncan and Chris Paul. But the one I'm talking about isn't a player, it's a coach, and it's Skip Prosser. We can't go a, se- a second further without discussing Wake basketball without dropping his name as well. I've looked it up the year that Chris Paul lost, and I'm pretty sure it was Pitsnoggle, dude. They got pit snoggled in the second round. That that doesn't surprise. That I mean, then you can't do anything. Pit snoggle, Gansey, Beeline, not much you can do. Um, the previous right. year, they also lost to a St. Joseph's team that would go on pretty far in the tournament. There might be a spoiler alert there to one of the future teams we're talking about here. They they've lost to some tournament sweethearts. It, it sounds like West Virginia, St. Joe's. Cleveland State, even I mean, the, Cleveland State doesn't necessarily rank amongst those those great teams, but I, I mean, I'm pretty sure Wake was the the one seed or a one seed that year with like Farouk and Chaz McFarland. So, uh, Wake Forest coming in at 48. I think we all agreed Tim Duncan best player, correct? And then oh, yeah. uh, fan favorite, I actually like this shark. I think you had mentioned this. It was Josh Howard. I feel like Josh Howard is crazy underrated. He won ACC Player of the Year. Yeah, the only one that could uh, the other guy could be is Chaz McFarland. Don't ever forget that guy on that good team with uh, uh, Jeff Teague. 
when that team was nasty with Wake Forest, and I think it was 08 or 09. Yeah, like oh, they were they were a buzzsaw, dude. And then I think Dino just kind of pooped his Dino Gaudio just pooped his pants in the in the tournament. Like he yeah. he inherited what Skip Prosser had built, and he got the keys to the Ferrari, crashed it. You know, one of the I always uh, mix up Wake Forest alum and Purdue alum. They had it's got to be that, and they had very good teams at the same time with like Jawan Johnson and Etwan, like those guys, and they were almost like perfectly aligned with Wake Forest in that amount of time. So you guys know more Wake Forest alum than I do. I don't. I'm not. I don't even think I know any Wake Forest alum that are that I've met outside of you guys. Do does anybody like Chris Paul? I'm sure Wake Forest guys do, but I mean, you don't even hear necessarily them bring that up. Is my point. Probably, probably because they have a much cooler guy that's greater in terms of the the rankings in player basketball that they can lean on. You know, I wouldn't bring up Chris Paul if I could could claim Tim Duncan, right? Yeah, I guess t- t- Chris Paul's a top ten point guard of all time, probably. But Tim Duncan is like the man at his position of all time. So yeah, that's true. More of a winner, a lot more cooler. Yeah, I'd, it seems like an easy 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 decision for me. All right, let's go to 47. Out of the Big East, it's the Xavier Musketeers. Zero national titles, zero Final Fours, 18 conference titles, three Elite Eights, eight Sweet Sixteens, and 28 NCAA tournament berths. Truth be told, those last two uh, stats are essentially the, the main reasons why they're in. Eight Sweet Sixteens is pretty damn good, as is 28 berths. Uh, but Xavier, a solid basketball team uh, with the most NCAA tournament appearances of uh, the teams that we're going to be going through and actually the second most Sweet 16. So that's pretty much what I got to say for Xavier in in terms of them being at, at that ranking at 47. Yeah, not, not an accident that it's the Skip Prosser Classic lined up with each other right there. Um, you have obviously Wake right behind Xavier, the Skip Prosser classic firing up again, I think should be, I don't know if it's fired up this year, but I know it is again here soon. They have, they're probably, they've made more tournaments and are, have accomplished less with the amount of tournaments that they've made with no final fours, which is kind of surprising. Their best shot at it was when they were a one seed a couple of years ago with Chris Mack, uh, Trayvon Blewett. They lost. In Makura. The, yeah. Makura, that whole team, they lost to Florida state. Uh, that was their year. That was their opportunity. And, you know, they might have a difficult time getting back there right now. But if, if you're if you're roughly our age, if you're 30 or so, Xavier, uh, X, filling the X in on your bracket, that's been a staple of your bracket filling out. And they've, they've, been, they've been consistently in the tournament. And their resume reflects that as well. They have 18 conference regular season championships. The three Elite Eights are impressive. But I think the guy that carries the water is my fan favorite in Matt Stainbrook that pushes him and Suva, I know you're going to want to talk about him later on, but he's the one that moves the needle for me just above wake forest here. You know, and the reason that I, I, I compared them to, to Butler a lot, um, not just because they're in the same region and, and whatnot now, but um, yeah, that as well, just attitude in general, but Butler actually had to, or uh, excuse me, Xavier, look at, yeah, there I go. Xavier actually had some tournament success 
in that middle 70s, 80s, 90s, or at least they made the tournament. Whereas, you know, comparing them to a team like Butler, Butler didn't do anything for years. So that's why I put it a team like Xavier, a little more consistent success throughout their entire, uh, you know, history, or at least the last 40 years. And then you got to look at some of the coaches that have come through Xavier. Uh, like we kind of mentioned earlier, a lot of big names in there, Sean Miller, Chris Mack, who moved on. It, it really sucks that to be known as a school where the big coaches come from, because that means you're losing them every eight to 10 years, but they didn't leave uh, Xavier to go to just other programs. They went to coach some of the top 10, 12 schools in the country. And I think that has to factor in because obviously if those coaches are getting po- poached, there's been, they had success at the school they came from. Well, and we can't even forget to mention Thad Mata, who I think started that whole coaching coaching tree as well. But I'd also like to point out that Xavier's been a part of some incredible basketball game, NCAA tournament games recently. You think of Jacob Pullen versus Jordan Crawford, that Kansas State Xavier game. You think of Ron Lewis hitting that shot for Ohio State, ripping the heart out of Musketeer fans back in, what, 04, 05, on their way to a national title berth. And that was one of the best teams that – We've all seen that Ohio State team with uh, with Lewis and obviously Conley and, and, and Odin. But then even more recently, uh, Arizona losing to them when they were up eight with like two minutes left, Trayvon Blewett. Uh, so Xavier has actually been a part of some great games here in recent memory also. Xavier, Xavier, sorry, not butt in here real quick, but Xavier also has the second most tournament appearances without a final four. Uh, which is 28. Uh, I think they also have the most wins in the tournament without reaching a Final Four, which those two kind of go hand in hand. But, uh, I mean, that's still it, it's still a big number. Yeah, and I, I truly wouldn't believe if in – or I wouldn't be hard-pressed to believe that if in five years Travis Steele is going to be in this exact same spot. I, I could absolutely see him doing that. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're a Xavier fan and you're pissed off and you can't believe that Butler – I mean, you're – just this little bit above Butler right here. The only reason for that is because they've cracked through. They've cracked through and they've played in that title game. I mean, Xavier just hasn't happened yet. The consistent success that they've had, I mean, even dating back to the 80s with Pete Gillen, this team has just been good, a good Midwestern, mid-major team, probably the epitome of that in the Midwest throughout a very extended period of time. They're a pipeline for great coaches, and it's just a matter of, all right, guys, eventually you get, it's put up or shut up time here. All right, let's get down to Brax's tax then. Players. Best player, we we said it was David West. I would say for program, Trayvon Blewett's definitely up there. Um, who else we got? I mean, David West is a pretty damn good good option. James, James Posey, even before Posey. David West. Uh, who who did I, I mention? Mean, it's definitely David West when you look at it. I mean, he it, he's my earliest memory of a great Xavier basketball player um, growing up watching it, but again – wasn't isn't there urban legend that jp mccura just whipped out his dick drunk as hell at a bar and pissed all over the floor could be in the running there (laughs) is that a a fan favorite or least favorite i like mccura i got no issues with mccura well i mean for that move i mean oh Uh, you got no no uh, he can't beat out stanbrook for fan favorite we'll we'll get to him but who are you yeah uh, like two holloway jordan crawford um maybe just because he dunked on lebron that could be a factor right there. Didn't even Never do happened. Yeah. No yeah, footage okay. of that. Yeah, right, right. But yes, so. let's un- unpack Matt Stanbrook here. Big guy, little bit of a gut, 
I mean, that was the best. That was the most in shape he's ever been, most likely. I'd love to see Matt Stanbrook today, but Matt Stanbrook was such an everyman, lunch pail type guy. And I don't say that figuratively. He was an Uber driver on the side. The man did not let success get to his head. He had he wore a Rex Specs. Perfect, perfect college basketball player for people to to love. Yeah, I mean, how can you not? Stainbrook, um, what did he open a restaurant? We got to get Bora on to talk about this, but I'm pretty sure he opened a restaurant as well that we have to visit at some point here um, in the near future. But I, he was a he was a perfect Xavier guy. He, a lot of Karnowski in him, but at the same time, a lot a lot of a lot of pizzazz to him as well. Um, I, I know I just compared two fat blonde white guys, uh, but hey, that are huge. Also, they are monsters. All right. So hold on, had- I want I want to make a point about his Uber driving. He would have continued to, to drive Uber, um, except for his 2004 Buick Rendezvous uh, didn't meet the 10 year old car cutoff. See, anymore. that's a way better story than what, what was that Kawhi story? It was like, oh my God, Kawhi's driving like his Ford Tahoe or something like that, or Chevy Chevy Tahoe on his second contract with the Spurs. I don't know. Yeah, no. I just want I just want to point out I've never been more scared of a college basketball player than playing uh, Matt Stainbrook in the Arizona played them in the uh, Sweet Sixteen in 2015. Not because he was nearly close to the best player that we played that year but just to potentially get abused down low by a guy that like is an uber driver you don't live like you don't live that down you know it's like oh man the first pick in the draft abuse you guys you'd be like yeah okay well he was the first pick in the draft you get abused by an uber driver then you don't live that down i guess but i'd almost honestly even go so far as to say i wouldn't mind it right like how can i be mad at that an uber driver just just took my my starting center's lunch money and it was Stanbrook. Stanbrook was actually pretty damn good too. I get, I get the point that you're making, but he was arguably their best player for that that run. No, that's exactly why I was scared of him, right? Because he had the combo like every man, good player combo. All right, last program that we will be revealing here at number forty six, out of the ACC, but majority of their damage done in the Big East are the Pitt Panthers. Zero national titles, one Final Four. Uh, six conference titles and in parentheses here, Big East. I forget which one of you guys did uh, did the Big East, but you'll have to talk on that. Um, three Elite Eights, seven Sweet Sixteens, 26 NCAA tournaments, and we'll get to their players. I actually did the Big East, but uh, I think you guys someone, – someone had put in a number of Big East uh, conference titles for the ACC, but – Pitt Panthers coming in here at 46. I feel like this might be the biggest. This for me was was the first wow kind of moment. Like, oh shit, Pitt's this low. But when you really look at the numbers, uh, they're not crazy impressive. I think their reputation kind of precedes them. And I think what Jamie Dixon did in his time there, even Ben Howland towards the end is what uh, why they're here essentially. And uh, we were joking about it in our deliberation. We were basically saying, or I had said that there was a stretch. I feel like for three, four years where they were the number one uh, overall seed in the tournament, or at least had a one seed that was disproven. But I feel like they always within those, with those Jamie Dixon years managed to stay between one and four uh, as a seed in the tournament. We all know about actually speaking of that Butler team, they beat Pitt on their way to to the national title game. But Pittsburgh comes in at, at 46, and I think a lot of this 
a lot of the love that we're giving them is because of the numbers and how well they played in the Big East when the Big East was amazing. I'm not talking about obviously the 80s with with Ewing and those Syracuse teams and Carnesecchia and those and those St. John's teams, but actually we go back to to the time frame that the Shark was referencing, 2006 to 2010. I think at throughout that point, Big East had sent the most number of teams in conference history or in tournament history from one conference. Uh, so this pit team did a lot of their great damage when the big East was so incredibly amazing. Uh, so I'll open it up to discussion here with Pitt shark thoughts on the Panthers at 46. Yeah. So I was, I was the one that wanted to annotate that they they've won six big East regular season championships, which in my opinion, the most a good chunk of those four of those were in the early 2000s. So 2002 through four, they won. And then they won in 11. Um, They've won four other titles as well in a conference called the Eastern Intercollegiate Conference, uh, which involved a bunch of teams in the Mid-Atlantic. But I wanted to focus strictly on what they've done in the Big East. Now, they've even gone on to the ACC. Uh, Jeff Capel's got them kind of turning around right now. It's not, it's not clicking at the moment. But their resume in terms of tournament appearances uh, and the like, it's all there minus when they should have broke through. And when they should have broke through was in 2008. 2009 that team was a one seed it had dewan blair it had levance fields and they ended up losing at a game i was at the boston garden scotty reynolds going coast to coast to beat them at the pretty much at the horn so that was when Pitt was at its peak in my opinion and they just for whatever reason didn't keep uh rolling from there but when you look at the rest of their resume you know having six big east championships like that providence where he at um to me, that is impressive, you know, to be able to do that right there. And plus you got the seven sweet 16s uh, kind of just consistent across the board for a good, a good stretch of their run. Can't forget about like 73 year old Sam Young on those teams too. You had Ashton Gibbs and Brad Wanamaker on those teams right after that too. You look, yeah, you look at that stretch and you're like, so again, why didn't this team do anything? you know, compared to, you know, the talent that they had on that roster. Uh, you had uh, Brandon Knight and Carl Krauser, not Brandon Knight, like Kentucky Brandon Knight, obviously, but the, the, the Brandon with an I, Brandon Knight uh, and Carl Krauser in the early 2000s. Then you go back to Ascended and Jerome Lane. And maybe that's why we think that they should be higher because they have such an iconic moment in, in college basketball. Uh, and then obviously got a shot plug, uh, Sean Miller here. He was the Big East all-time assist leader until recently, and he went to Pitt as well. Not saying that he advances where Pitt should be, but that they have, they've had players over the course of time. Um, yeah, it is a little surprising. I kind of echo Subi's thoughts that you would think you're almost, I was almost scratching it away. Like how could Pitt be higher than this? Like, how can I push them above this? But I really couldn't find just because of their success, any way to put them any higher than this. Yeah. And even more recently, like you said, Jeff Cable is turning the program around, but those Kevin Stallings years were not great. The, the initial years when he was at Pitt was because of what he inherited with Jamie Dixon. And then he was just a complete bum a miser with uh, with them as well. So uh, Pitt, and then you talk about iconic moments, man. I've, I very well could have kicked their country ass to the curb out of the top 50 strictly because of the Gary McGee getting crossed up by Kemba Walker. Granted, it was Kemba, but Gary McGee made, was made to look like a fool. But uh, Pitt Panthers coming in there. So let's talk best player. 
we we mentioned here Sam Young. I feel like that should be open to discussion. I I'm 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 okay with talking Dewan Blair. I'm okay. With, I mean, the guy wore headbands on on his biceps for God's sakes. Um, who else? Gibbs was pretty good. F- Fields, I love. Who else am I missing? You guys remember Chris Taft? Yeah, I mean, you got Wanamaker, uh, Ashton Gibbs, but also all Americans. I, I personally would go with Dewan Blair. That's just me. I feel like he was kind of the uh, the exact person that uh, exemplified those pit teams more than anybody else. But that I, that I think you got it's kind of a coin flip between yeah handful of people there. I love Carl Krauser personally, but I mean what. Yeah, they're all kind of the same guy, right? They're all kind of a different size for their position. Uh, they're all tough. They all play 40 minutes if they have to. They can all probably struggle to shoot threes to some extent, but they 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 attack the hoop better than anyone. So that, that's just a pit basketball player. Uh, I, I do want to take one moment here just to comment on, like, to the extent that teams like Providence or anyone else like that are upset that we're putting pit above them, pit – Won the regular season, the regular season conference tournaments. Uh, yes, Providence got more Final Fours than them, but Pitt in every other capacity, they've made the tournament more than them. They've been consistently good for decades at this point, much like any of these old uh, Big East teams or any of these old iconic basketball programs. Pitt has been making tournaments since the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and of course, a lot in the 2000s. So we value that consistent success to an extent, but eventually you also have to get the other redeeming categories as well. It's about being well-rounded with it. Two additional items with Pitt. Amidst all of this conference realignment, have we seen a team that's been dealt a shittier hand in the sense that they've spent time in the Big East and then they've spent time in the ACC, right? UConn was in the Big East, then they got a little bit of a reprieve with the AAC. They're going back to the Big East. Louisville was in like Conference USA. They've done Big East and also ACC, but they had that reprieve. I feel like Pitt's just had to endure the two best conferences when you think best conferences in college basketball, maybe with the exception of Big Ten. But, uh, you know, th- these numbers are, are certainly earned. And then here's a little question for you guys. Has there been a more tenured – or let's let me, let me rephrase this. Has there been a longer NBA career from a Pitt player outside of Steven Adams? Ooh. That's a good question. Well, Sam Young probably could have been, except he went into the NBA when he was like 33 years old, or at least it seemed like that. Um, Adams I, I, was I, the reverse. Adams went in when he was like 17. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, he's still somehow only like 25 years old, which is just fucking ridiculous. Uh, I guess no would be my guess if you're asking me the question. Crazy, though. Crazy to think that, right? Like Stephen Adams was only a freshman. I mean, he was clearly Aaron, Aaron Gray. What about Aaron Gray? <laughs> he's great. He's still going. He's definitely not still going, but he, he was there for a little bit. I think Never he was know. on. The, I think he was on those Derrick Rose. Actually, he played with Derrick Rose and Chris Paul in in uh, Chicago. <laughs> Aaron Gray might have some stories at the point guard position. Uh, all right, so that is fifty through fit through forty six. Just to recap, we have Butler at fifty, Princeton at forty nine, Wake Forest at forty eight, Xavier at forty seven, and Pitt at forty six. Uh, before we take a quick break and get to our hugs, a quick message from Zach at the Barnburner Podcast Network. All right, fellas, let's round this out now with hugs. Good. First of all, actually, I want to applaud us. That was good deliberation. That was good talk. And, and I thoroughly enjoyed going 50 through 46. And we definitely have some content to hold us over for, for this 
extended off season. So well done hug for you both. Taylor, who's your hug for? So my hug is going to be close to both uh, Subi Mai's heart. And that is uh, for Jason Terry, the jet. Uh, he is in line to become Arizona's next assistant basketball coach. Uh, it's not official. It won't be official until the end of uh, the coronavirus situation because uh, Arizona schools have, along with a lot of other places, obviously uh, have a hiring freeze going on. Uh, Jet is probably one of, I don't know, 10 most well-liked, if not higher than that, players in Arizona basketball history. He has the iconic headband, the iconic socks. He's the national player of the year at Arizona. And he is a guy that is still uh, recognized by young kids. People know Jason Terry, even if only if they know him as like the old guy, but they still have, they still know him. Uh, shoot. Uh, Meek Mill shouted him out in the song earlier this year. Put I'm some just bands all, put some bands all on your head like Jason Terry. So he's yeah. still in the culture right now. So hug for Jason Terry. So I'm just afraid that when he goes in to recruit, someone's going to be like, oh, you're that old dude that LeBron absolutely murdered in Boston. That's you. That's you, Jason Terry. So, but he also murdered LeBron when he was on Dallas. Yes, but yeah. th- but NBA post-2012 Twitter, who have been very vocal about, doesn't remember that. That series you know apparently what? I think, doesn't count. I think that dunk was in 2011, so you might be okay. Oh, no chance. No, 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 because Terry was on the Mavericks in 2011. He was on the Celtics when that dunk happened. Hold on. Let's 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 dive into our personal lives here. I remember it happened because I believe we were at your house on Helen Street in Tucson, which would have been like 2011, 2012, maybe. Yeah, yeah it was, you're it, right. It, it was probably 2012. It was definitely yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, good hug, though, Jason Terry. My hug is going to KJ Walton. Either of you fellows know who KJ Walton is? All right. Well, he is the the first the first entry into the Van Wilder house here, Shark, because he was granted a sixth year of eligibility for Ball State. Six years, better part, literally better part of a decade. That is a direct quote from Van Wilder. So KJ Walton of Ball State, six years going strong. Uh, wishing you the best of luck. Hopefully, we do get a season next year. Uh, but yes, those are those are my hugs right there. Wait, so what if we don't have a season next year? Is he going to get a seventh year? Should he just stretch this out forever? Should he just stretch this out forever? I don't know. Yeah, so Sub's muted right here. He's, I can see him talking like crazy. Um, but I'm going to jump in and just throw a hug if I can. Uh, my hug is going to go to all those coaches that should have been fired that did not end up getting fired because of COVID-19 because you can't go out and replace someone that can go hit the recruiting trail like that. I'm not talking about Jim Christian or Danny Manning, but I am talking about those two individuals. Uh, what, what, what a, what a, like in all time, it's like walking into class and finding out that, you know, you know, the teacher couldn't make it. I just fucked it up with that analogy. I'm bad. Sorry about that one, guys. I'm a little rusty. It's been a while. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what a way to keep your job for an extra year. Well, I'll tell you what. You you hit the nail on the head. A lot of people say that they're bad coaches, but they're finding a way to win. <laughs> they're finding a way to win. Survive in advance. That's all you can do in, in this life. And also, yeah, Shark, you you might have to update your, your Twitter bio are you still on sabbatical? Does it say that? I mean, that was the first thing that you changed when when news broke. Oh yeah, I am. I'm still on sabbatical. This is yeah, this is just a I'm back on sabbatical as soon as we hang up the phone here. All right. 
Well, we appreciate you listening. We will be back next episode with uh, teams 45 through 41. Until next time, talk to you later. We'll be right back.